Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hannah Tinty was born and lives in Salem, Massachusetts. Hannah has just released The Good Thief about Wren, an orphan who's 12. The story is set in New England and it was inspired by resurrection men, grave robbers in the 1800s. After meeting another character, Benjamin, Wren goes on a journey involving thieving and corruption. The rights to The Good Thief have been sold to 11 countries and Hannah is considered the new voice of American literature. The book's central character, Wren, has been like to Oliver Twist. Hannah has also written a book of 11 short stories called Animal Crackers in 2004, which became runner-up for the Hemingway Foundation Pen Award. It was the Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers pick for summer 2004 and Amazon's Breakout Book also in 2004. The rights to Animal Crackers have been sold in 16 countries. So thanks for talking to us today, Hannah. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really exciting. Now, apart from all the books that you've written, you're also editor of a literary magazine called One Story. So what skills do you draw on from your editing background to help you in your writing? Well, I've got to say that being an editor makes me much harder on myself as a writer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I, it's really hard for me to let things go. I'm always finding things that I can cut out and Oftentimes, even after I publish something, I'm, I, you know, I'm going at it with a red pen. So whenever I read from it to, to an audience, um, it's, it's never what's on the page. So do you find that you're actually editing as you go? And does that slow you down quite a lot compared to if you didn't have that in the back of your mind? It is. I mean, I'm a, I'm a slow writer. Um, my, my new book, The Good Thief, it took me six years to write. And I think a lot of that is because I kind of micromanage every aspect of it. Um, but the, the, you know, the plus side of that is, is when I finally can deliver a manuscript, it's much more polished um, and further along. And so my makes my editor very happy. <laughs> yeah, and so tell us about The Good Thief, which is about Wren and Orphan. Um, the Good Thief is a, is a, a novel. It uh, takes place in New England, um, which is a the northern part of the United States, and it um, takes place in the 1800s, and it concerns a boy named Wren. Uh, Wren is an orphan. He grows up in an orphanage, and his story begins, uh, we find out that he is missing his left hand. It was cut off sometime before he was left at the orphanage, and this, this missing hand is really, you know, the key to his identity, and he really spends the rest of the novel sort of on this quest of finding out who he is and um, where he came from. And one day, a con man named Benjamin Nabb arrives at the orphanage and claims, excuse me, claims Wren as his long-lost brother. And then Wren soon finds, after they leave the orphanage together, that he was lying. And uh, it, so this story is also about um, storytelling, actually, and Benjamin... Every time they sort of get into a new scrape, uh, he tells some long, elaborate tale to get them out of it. 
And it was a lot of fun to write, actually, because then, you know, every time I was telling one of Benjamin's stories, I could really let my imagination go wild. So you said it was had a six-year gestation period. What? How did the story develop and what was the initial inspiration for the story? It all started when I came across this word, uh, resurrection men. I was studying words that had fallen out of use in the English language. And I thought it's sort of a beautiful word, resurrection men. And then I, I, you know, read the definition, which is thieves who would dig up bodies and sell them to medical schools. And this sort of became extremely prevalent in Europe and the United States when medical schools were really sort of proliferating and, you know, doctoring was becoming more of a science. And I was really drawn to it because, you know, as a subject matter, because what they were doing was the worst possible thing you could ever do, Mm. desecrating a grave. But ultimately, it did lead to a greater good because these doctors were able to practice and potentially save lives in the future. Mm. So any sort of, you know, gray area like that is, is a wonderful thing for a writer to explore. And so what, what started it was I, you know, I had this image in my head of this scene. And in the scene, um, it was at a graveyard and the men were, you know, behind the gates, you know, digging up the bodies. And then on the other side of the gate was a young boy. Mm. And he was, there was a cart and he was holding onto the reins of this horse. And I could see it entirely. I could see the breath, you know, coming from his mouth. I could, and I could feel how terrified he was. And I just started to describe him. And I wrote that scene, and that scene actually ended up falling in the center of the book. Um, and I, you know, it, it sort of everything sort of started coming from there. I was like, "Who is this boy? How did he get here? How did he fall in with these, you know, with these thieves, with these dangerous men?" So I knew it was a sort of going to be an exciting story, you know, an adventure story, you know, really sort of more of a classic like Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped or Treasure Island, and um, you know, but with my own bend on it. And, uh, and it sort of those were the books that really inspired me. Um, also, American writers like Mark Twain and um, James Fenimore Cooper, and uh, they were the books that I loved as a child. And I, I wanted to, you know, make something that I I would want to read myself. And, and just to clarify, the word is resurrection men, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the initial germination of an idea may not necessarily be the start of the book. It could fall, as you say, in the middle or at the end or, or perhaps not even end up in a book altogether. Absolutely. It's, uh, I think that, you know, we, the things that sort of stay with us, these images, we sort of get, we start getting, as a writer, I mean, I feel like we get haunted by things. Mm. Um, sometimes people are haunted by things that have happened to them in their own lives. And sometimes it's just, uh, you know, an image or, or, or something you read about that stays with you. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit like psychotherapy, really. You end up, you know, you know, trying to come at it in different ways and explore it and, uh, and communicate, you know, with other people, you know, what you're trying to say. Mm. And, you know, for me, it ended up being a story about, um, reinvention, you know, this idea of resurrection, you know, coming back from the dead, changing who you are, and also of family, because Ren's quest is really to find a family of, your, of his own. And, and, you know, sometimes what constitutes your family is not, you know, the sort of classic mother, you know, father and children. Sometimes it ends up being a sort of an array of friends, of odd people. He meets, you know, he meets this giant who's a murderer he meets a dwarf who lives on the you know roof he he meets a a crazy lady who shouts all the time and and these are the people who become his family and who love him Mm. 
And you've also become well-known, you know, you became well-known for Animal Crackers in 2004. What, how did that come about? What made you write Animal Crackers? Um, Animal Crackers started, um, I, you know, I was working on short stories and I, there was this one story in particular that, um, called Slim's Last Ride that I wrote and it was, um, and it, it sort of, it was about a rabbit, of course, <laughs> and, uh, and it sort of opened a door for me and suddenly I, I realized that I wanted to sort of pursue this, this idea about animals and human, animal versus human nature and sort of this, this line where people cross over. And I wanted to explore when the moment right before a person becomes a murderer or, you know, right before someone commits some sort of horrible act. You know, when, when a lot of times when, when we read about something in the paper, um, you know, a murder trial or something like that, the, the people are described as an, in animalistic terms. Mm. And I think that as people, we do that to separate ourselves from it. You know, that's something I could never do. That's something only an animal could do. Mm. But in fact, we're all animals and we're all pretty much capable of anything given certain circumstances. So this was that sort of an element that I was really exploring with that. And, and sort of contributing to that is the fact that um, I studied science in school, actually. So I was originally a biology major. And I'm all, you know, was fascinated, you know, with, by animals. And um, so it, was, it, it allowed me to sort of combine, you know, my excitement um, about animals and science with my other love, which was literature. And, of course, Animal Crackers is a book of short stories, but The Good Thief is a novel. What do you, what do you prefer, writing short stories or, or entire novels? I think that they both have their their good points and their bad points. <laughs> um, you know, for, for me, I, I never thought that I'd write a novel. Really? I, no, I, I just really, I, I, I have often, you know, oftentimes I read books and I think that would have made them an amazing short story. Mm. But as a novel, it just, it, it was too weak. It almost, like, it was like tea that was too weak or something. You know? <laughs> but if, it, if it was a smaller cup, it would have been perfect. Um, so this, you know, I never thought that I would write uh, a novel, but when I came across this idea of resurrection, then I knew that it was too big of a story and too complicated of a story to try to tell in the space of a short of short fiction. So it took me a while to switch gears and and, and write much larger and sort of go in different places and sort of explore, you know, the, the writing was quite different. And as a writer, what did you have to do to switch gears? I had to not micromanage every sentence. <laughs> yes. Where in a, in a short story, really every single sentence matters. It's it's more like writing poetry. Mm. And you have to have every sentence has to sort of lead to the next in a certain sort of format and rhythm. And in each paragraph has to sort of end in this certain way. And uh, it took me a really long time to write, obviously. I, you know, I'm sure there's some elements of the book that still feel a little bit like short stories because I, I actually end up writing each of the chapters, almost thinking a bit more like Dickens, who would write his novels seri serially. Mm. So trying to sort of create each chapter to have something really exciting and interesting happen and have let it have its own arc, like that a short story does. And you said you started off studying biology. So how did you transition into writing? And when did you feel yourself that, you know, I'm a writer? Well, my mother was a librarian. So I grew up around books. 
and you know, in a, in a, in a home that values reading. I love science. I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. That's how I imagined myself as a child. <laughs> and I would watch his films, and I, you know, would read all about the ocean, and just sort of. Lo- and I, I love the water, and I love boating. So that's where I sort of saw myself in the future. And uh, so when I started studying in school, I loved the stories and, the, and all these elements about the animals. But the fact is, is I was really bad at science. <laughs> so as much as I love the material, I'd have to study, you know, three or four times. I think my brain just doesn't work that way. It's not a mathematical brain. Right. And so I went to my second love, which was, you know, reading and literature. And I took my first creative writing class and it really changed my life. It, it, suddenly, I to, to, to try to write, I, I realized that this was this was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Wow! Yeah. And how did you go about making that into a professional reality, though? Well, at first, I worked in publishing, mm-hmm. and I started off working at magazines. I, I worked at the Atlantic Monthly and Boston Review and a mm-hmm. few other you know uh, monthly magazines in the United States. I then worked at a literary agency. Uh, so I really learned the business. Uh, I also worked at a bookseller, an independent bookseller in the United States. And I ended up applying to an MFA program, a creative writing program. I went to New York University. And that really allowed me to explore the craft more and really learn the skills I needed, I think, to take you know, these bits and pieces and thoughts and, and give them a shape and a form mm. and actually be able to produce them. In, uh, and it was very helpful for, for me. I don't think that creative writing classes are for everyone. Mm. I don't think MFA programs are for everyone. But for me, it was extremely valuable. What was the most useful thing you think you got out of that course? Well, for example, I studied with E.L. Doctorow, who's mm. you know best known for you know Ragtime and the Book of Daniel, and his most recent was called The March. Mm-hmm. He is very well known for writing historical novels, you know, that, that feature real people in real times and explore real issues. Yeah. Well, he gave me wonderful advice, which I used in The Good Thief, which was to not do any research. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which was sort of surprising. He said, don't do any research. He said, You've all, he said, everyone's seen enough movies to fake it, to fake a time period. He said, just your first draft needs to be driven by the characters and your situation and your plot and not about you know, the outside world. Wow, that's quite quite incongruent to what many writers do. It's true. But then then he said, then after you have your first draft, then you do the research. Right. So after you have your plot and your storyline, then you go in and add the details that will bring it, you know, and correct the things that are incorrect for the time right. to, to make it feel authentic. So I did things like I, I went to the library and I read old newspapers from the time period and I read about the history of medical schools in the United States. I read about um, in the industrialization of North America, things, things like that that really helped me add the little bits and pieces that, you know, you know that, that make it feel real. Yeah, sure. So tell us what you're working on now. Are you working on an, another project? Well, I'm just about to start my book tour in the United States. The book just came out about two days ago. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not going to have time to write for a while, but I've, I've 
my I have a vague sense that I might not be through with this world, the world I created in The Good Thief. Right. So I think that I might be taking some of the characters and taking them somewhere else and seeing what happens. But I, 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 I don't think I have enough written yet to say that officially that's what I'm working on next, but that's what I'm sort of dabbling with at the moment. Sure. So when you are writing, can you describe to us your typical working day? My typical working day, I wake up, I walk my dog, <laughs> the first thing I do in the morning, and then I try to get right to it mm-hmm. you know, without opening up email or reading the paper or anything else and just try to enter the world. Mm-hmm. And it's... um. You know, I don't have a regular schedule. Some writers I know write every day from, say, 6 to 9 or something like that. I've never been a person that does well with keeping with one particular schedule. One schedule will work with, for me for a while. For a while, I'll be writing just early, early in the morning. I'll wake up at 5, and I'll write from 5 to 10. Right. And then, and then uh, that will stop working, and then I'll start working really late at night. Oh. Uh, when I was finishing The Good Thief, I was working incredibly well from 11 o'clock until about 3 or 4 in the morning. Oh, my God. And I, and I found it was because uh, there was so much happening in my life at the time that that, that that was the quiet time. No one else was calling me. No one was emailing. Everyone else was asleep. Mm. And you could almost feel the silence in the world. And it, 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 it that kind of quiet, I needed it to, to sort of put the final mm. touches on, on the novel. Mm. You've received so many, you know, great reviews for The Good Thief already. Um, and they've been, you know, fantastic reviews. Is is it hard to, uh, you know, live up to the expectation and live up to the accolades? Because you, I've, I read you were described as the new a new voice of American literature. It's incredible to... You put, you put yourself, so much of yourself, you really your lifeblood into something like this. And I yes. mean, I, again, I, I worked on the book for so long. And even though it is about grave robbers in the 1800s, there's a lot of myself in that book. And, you know, because you mine your own personal loves and tragedies to be able to write things like this. So it feels very intertwined with yourself. So to, to actually have it well-received is so sort of beyond what I even imagined. I was just thankful to have it out there and, <laughs> and, and, and to finally have it be able to share it with other people. Mm. I think also as writers, we're, we're, we're kind of reserved people and we keep a lot of things inside and that's how they come out on the page. And so for me, it's really a sharing of myself with other people to have it have it there and to have actually other people respond to it and mm. have an emotional reaction to it. It's incredibly rewarding. Mm. I, I, and I, I'm excited to be out and meeting people finally who, who have read the book. It's, it's really thrilling. Now, you said that you've worked in various positions in the publishing industry and all of that as you were, you know, as you were writing. Was there a point where you felt personally that kind of switch, you know, I'm a writer as opposed to I'm working in a literary agency or I'm working in, you know, an independent bookseller or, you know, and writing on the side? Was there a point where you you really felt the difference? For me, I was... I actually felt like I had to make a choice whether I was going to work in publishing or whether I was going to be a writer. Mm-hmm. There are some people who work in 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 the industry and also produce wonderful books. Um, my my UK editor Charlotte Mendelson has done incredibly well with her writing, mm-hmm. and she's also a fantastic editor. Somehow, some people can sort of compartmentalize, but for myself, I 
I was working at a literary agency and, and coming along quite well. And I, and I really had to make a choice of if I was going to stay there and become, you know, my own agent. Mm. And of course, when you work, you know, when you have that kind of job, you spend all your time reading and it, you have to do a lot of socializing and it takes away from any time that I had to write. Mm. So I, on a whim, I applied to a writer's residency, this wonderful place on the West Coast in the U.S. called Hedgebrook. Mm-hmm. And it's only for women. Mm-hmm. And it actually, it, they're, they're highly encouraging of international women writers. So if you have any listeners who are women writers, they should go to hedgebrook.org and apply. It's a wonderful place. And so mm-hmm. I got in, and I felt it was a sign that I re- should really try to give the writing a go and make it, put it first. And once I made that decision to put my writing first before anything else, every job I took after that, I always considered what the hours were. I always, you know, any, any, any place I live, any, you know, I want to, you know, be sure that I would be able to write well there. Um, it, by making it first in my life, that's how I think I was really able to make a commitment that you needed to make it work. And, you know, I think some people do this with their marriages. You know, they, they make, this, they, you know, you finally make the decision to put this other, you know, this person first yeah. in your life, this, this, this relationship first. For me, that relationship was my writing. Yeah. So you, there was a point that you had to make it the priority. Exactly. And how many years ago was that? Let's see. Gosh, when was that? <laughs> I don't know if I can remember the exact date. I think it was, let's see, uh, like 1998 or 99. Okay, so so quite a while ago. Yeah, about 10 years ago. Okay, great. And so finally, what advice would you give to other aspiring writers who are not near the sort of level that you're at already with, you know, these fabulous books already out, but um, have got something written or in the process of writing and they've made writing their priority? What advice would you give to them? Well, I think belonging to a writing group is incredibly incredibly helpful. Yeah. I, I have two two other writers that I exchange work with. We've been exchanging work for about thirteen years. And what wow. what you you know, if you, you have to become a part of a community because writing in a vacuum is is really hard. But if you have friends who are trying to do the same thing you're trying to do, you encourage each other and you inspire each other. And you sort of lead each other along. If someone falls back, maybe they have something happen in their lives, an illness or you know, a change of place or something like that, you know, the other friends can, can keep them going forward. Mm. And it, I think that's, that's the thing is you have to just keep working at it. Mm-hmm. Is that mainly for encouragement and motivation though? And, and also for publishing contacts and things like that, because what mm-hmm. happened is, you know, for, 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 for our group, you know, we weren't all publishing at once. One of us got published first mm. and then almost, you know, helped out, help the other people, you know, make some contacts. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's sort of one 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 person helps helps another, and mm-hmm. you know, this happens with me with one story. Now that I sort of I'm more established, I, I, you know, I really try to publish early. You know, maybe people for the first time, or they've just started to publish their own work, and by doing that, I introduce them to editors and to agents. Mm-hmm. I think that if you want to, the, the literary community, even even worldwide, is a small community. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're going to take from that pool, you really have to give back to it in one way or another. So, so some people do that by working in publishing, some by belonging to a writing group, some people teach, some people just go to readings or they buy a lot of books. There's, you, you have to stay engaged. And I think that being a part of the community for me helped me keep going. Okay, yep. And what else? What else? I would say one of the best bits of advice that I got when I was finishing The Good Thief was to simplify, simplify, simplify. Right. And by that I mean everything from your sentences to your plot lines to the number of characters because it's all about communication and are you getting across what you're trying to say. So, so, so once, once someone told me to do that when I was really sort of all tied up in knots and I didn't know sort of which way to go mm. with my book, they said, well, look, you've got, you know, just try to figure out exactly what you're trying to say and then look at your work and cut away the pieces that are not all going towards that end. Mm. So that was one bit. And they, they, the other thing that they, they told me, which is, you know, I, I think a friend of mine told me, which is really helpful, was to use what you already have. And by that, I mean, when you need to have something happen in your story, don't add another character to make that happen. Use mm. the characters that you've already introduced. Don't take them to a new setting. Mm. Use a setting that you've already used. Because the fact is, each time um, something appears again in your book, it sort of, um, it seeps up more meaning. Right. So, so by sort of using the same characters, using the same settings, it's almost like it, it, um, it sort of distills yeah. in a way. It's part of the simplification process, isn't it? Exactly. You don't want to move your readers around too many places or throw too many characters at them because they won't become attached to any of them. Sure. So that was, that was also helpful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Hannah. We're very excited about The Good Thief at the Sydney Writers' Centre and, um, you know, really appreciate you spending the time chatting to us today. It was absolutely my pleasure and um, thank you so much for having me. Okay, great. All right, cheers. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.